Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Every time we watch a movie on Netflix, my wife Diane falls asleep about 15 minutes into the movie. She'll lie comatose on the sofa for an hour and a half or so, and then it's like she gets this signal from an alien life force or something. Because five minutes before the movie's over, she wakes up. And here comes the inevitable conversation. Diane, of course, has no idea what's going on in the movie. And so she says, hey, Tim, I missed a little of the movie. I must have dozed off in the middle of it or something. <laughs> really? Could you tell me what happened? Ugh, it's too complicated. Go back to sleep. <sighs> well, for me, reading Isaiah 12 is like that. It's like coming in at the end of a movie. What's Isaiah talking about? And who is he talking to? And what day is he referring to when he says, on that day? See, the ending looks exciting, but what's the lead up? In order to find out, you have to go back to make sense of the ending. But as soon as you start going back and reading a few chapters, you quickly find that things get really complicated. And I really can't do that justice. So today I'm going to simplify things by focusing in on one single detail of the plot line. That detail is in the verse that immediately precedes our text. It's kind of the lead-in to it. The last verse of chapter 11. Isaiah is talking about that day, and he says this. There will be a highway from Assyria for the remnant that remains of his people as there was for Israel when they came up from the land of Egypt. And then comes chapter 12, our text. Now, this verse, I know, raises a lot of questions, too, but what I want to focus on is the connection that Isaiah makes between the first exodus that the children of Israel had and this future experience that Isaiah says God's people will have on that day. Isaiah wants his future listeners to understand the experiences that they are undergoing in the future in light of Israel's exodus from Egypt. Now that connection certainly helps me to begin to understand why the people say what Isaiah promises they will in this text. But when I made that connection, something else happened too. I began to see a pattern that cast sort of a shadow over the happy language of Isaiah chapter 12. I saw it first when I went back to Exodus chapter 4. In that chapter, Moses is worried that Israel is not going to believe him when he says that the Lord actually appeared to him. And so in that chapter, the Lord gives him some signs to perform for the people in order that they might believe. And at the end of the chapter, the text says that after Aaron spoke the words that God had spoken to Moses, and after he had shown them the signs, it says the people believed and when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed down and worshiped him. I saw the same pattern in Exodus chapter 14 uh, after Israel had crossed the Red Sea. The text says that Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. 
And immediately after that, remember, Moses and the rest of Israel sing, that is, they worship God, they sing that famous song in Exodus chapter 15. It's the same basic pattern that you can see in Isaiah chapter 11 and 12. Israel conquers its enemies and returns to its homeland in chapter 11. And then in chapter 12, they sing. And the words of the song, if you remember the text, echo the language of Exodus 15. Now the pattern has an ominous side. When you remember that this plot line, the story didn't work out so well for Pharaoh and the Egyptians. The book of Exodus never says that when Pharaoh saw the signs, he believed. Nope, Pharaoh saw the signs, and then over and over again it says that the Lord hardened his heart. Pharaoh is actually kept from drawing the right conclusions about what is happening to him. It's an obvious pattern in Exodus. The Lord keeps Pharaoh from seeing and believing and then judges him. The nations in Isaiah don't appear to fare much better than the Egyptians did. They do not seem to be the ones that are going to be singing away on that day. So again, you see it's God's remnant, his people that are saved, and the nations that are destroyed. So the text today raises a question for me. How far does this pattern actually go? How all-encompassing is Isaiah's vision and his prophecy? Now those questions become questions that might interest you if you believe that there is an almighty God who rules over all things and who saves and destroys people as he wishes, and that there are a lot of days in history which show him doing just that. And if you believe that Isaiah's prophecy cannot be relegated to ancient history, but that Isaiah also says that there will be a day of reckoning for you and me and everyone else. See, if that's the case, then, and this might be an odd way to put it, then the pronouns in today's text become really important. <laughs> you will say in that day, my question is, are you part of the you? How do you know that you're going to be the ones that are doing the singing and not the ones that are being sung about? The text doesn't tell you whether you are destroyed or saved, included or excluded in the salvation of God. So I had to look back again as I thought about that wanted to see if I could find myself in this text at all. And when I did, I saw a little deviation in Isaiah's pattern from that pattern in Exodus. It's actually one verse that turns in a different direction. And it's in chapter 11, where Isaiah is talking about that day. Isaiah says this, In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the people, of him shall the nations inquire and his resting place shall be glorious. See, it's a verse that opens a door for other people, other nations. What does it mean? Well, of course, there is at least one other person that's interested in the same questions that I'm asking, and he tells us what he thinks this verse means. In his epistle to the Romans, Paul has this powerful insight that Jesus is the one that Isaiah is talking about. 
He quotes this verse in his claim that God, in his mercy, sent Jesus to save us Gentiles. We could all just as well have been reckoned with Egypt and Assyria. But God did not forsake us. Instead, he gave us a door. He gave us the living water. He gave us the bread of life. He gave us a shepherd and a king. What he gave to his Old Testament people, Israel, in Jesus, he has given to us. Now, if you believe that, it changes our perspective on this text. If Jesus is the one that Isaiah is talking about, then that future day has already come. The other saving event, this other exodus, has burst upon us in staggering fashion. If Jesus is who he says he is, then we have already been redeemed. We have been purchased and won from sin and death and hell by his own blood. Then we can be sure that Isaiah is talking to us because Jesus died and rose to bring us the salvation that God promised his children. With the words of the text then, we can thank the Lord that God has turned his anger away from us because in Jesus, he has turned it away. How, can, how does God comfort us? With the word of forgiveness that he speaks in Christ. I can speak as Isaiah says I will. God is my salvation, not my damnation. I will trust in him and not be afraid because of what Jesus has done. I can say with Israel of so long ago, the Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. Now, don't think for a moment that I've exhausted the meaning of Isaiah or this text. I've only really scratched the surface. I've only made a beginning of telling you what that day is and what it will be like for you. The full measure of that day the full expression of the salvation that God has planned for his people has yet to be revealed. We sing this text now, and indeed we should, but believe me, the text will take on an entirely different meaning when that time comes. So in the meantime, read these chapters for yourself. It's an amazing story. It really can't be summarized or reduced. The work of God is too great for that. And it's for you. Indeed, great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. Amen. Now may the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ, which passes all our understanding, keep your hearts and minds together in Christ Jesus. Amen.